Would you join me as we pray to our amazing God? Father, we, whether we know it or not, are in desperate need of you this morning to show up and feed your sheep. We pray, O Lord, that you would do that through the preaching of your word. I pray, Father, that you will strengthen trembling knees and weak hands and people who are going through the waves of death and disbelief in your goodness and in your sovereign control over all things and people who doubt in your goodness, I pray that you would show up by the power of your spirit through the truth of your word and that you would strengthen us, encourage us, grow our faith in you we pray. I pray that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears and give us minds to understand what your word says for us. We pray that as we consider you in your word today, that you would transform us from one degree of glory to the next. Father, I am only a man and I have no power to do this. And we desperately long to see you work. We desperately need for you to work. And so we just ask that you would do what you have promised you would do. You told us that you will be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so we thank you and we praise you that you are the good God who always keeps his promises. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you this morning. Glad you're here. We've got a question for you as we get started. As you think about your life, what do you consider to be the most important thing about it? What drives you? What motivates you? What evokes passion, strong emotion? What is worth protecting? What is worth fighting for? What makes you angry, sad, fearful? What are you worried might get taken away from you? As you think, some of you might be thinking about family or friends. This isn't a bad thing to think about. Some people might have other less noble things pop into their mind as you consider these questions. You can deal with those things. These are very personal questions, and they deal with various circumstances and emotions. These are the kind of things the Psalms are so good at addressing. The Psalms are wildly popular, are they not? Um, they are. People gravitate toward the Psalms, especially in times of trouble, because they are so relatable. The Psalms speak often to the core of who we are. And so I'm sure whenever you have felt troubled uh, or were anxious or fearful or angry or even joyful, you were encouraged to look to the Bible 
And one of the first and easiest places for you to turn is the Psalms. Now, this is not always the case, but it is often. And if you don't or haven't made it a regular practice to turn to the Psalms and you don't know where else to turn, I would encourage you to do so. Because the Psalms are healthy and mature expressions of emotions. Are you an emotional person? might not think so, but you are. We all are. Guess what? We are humans. God has made us with emotions. And that is a fine thing to have. Whether you are angry, sad, fearful, or at peace and joyful, the Psalms have something for you. They help you to express your vast array of emotions in honest, healthy ways. And they are healthy, hear this, they are healthy because they are God-oriented. The emotions that are expressed, the hurt that is felt, the joy that is dwelt in, are Godward-oriented. There are various genres of psalms, there are 150 psalms in total, and they range from lament, praise, royal psalms, talking about the king, thanksgiving, trust, wisdom, liturgy, historical, and then there's just kind of the smorgasbord, right? Like a mixed bag. We don't really know how to categorize the psalm because it's all over the map, just like we are oftentimes emotionally. We're dynamic creatures. So what, what are the psalms? The psalms are simply songs, but they are not simple songs about simple things. They are poetic songs, And they played an important role in the temple for public worship. They were and continue to be a call for those who hear and read and sing to praise the Lord. And There are five books in the Psalter, and some think that the five books of the Psalter mirror the five books of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. The book of Psalms starts, so if you read from Psalm 1 to to 40, you see just there's a heavy emphasis on lament, or just this cry of pain. How long, O Lord? How long will you allow me to just endure the sufferings and the hardships of this earth? I can't bear up underneath it. Where are you? So lament, lamenting the bad things. And then as you see the progression through to the 150th song, it builds in crescendo-like fashion as we move away from the hardships and suffering underneath them, and we begin to praise the Lord more and more. So starts out in lament, builds to praise. It's not a coincidence. All the Psalms point to Jesus. You'll remember what Jesus said in Luke 24, 27, after the resurrection. Whenever he's walking with the disciples on the way, he had veiled his appearance uh, to them and he taught them. And it says here, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to, to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The Psalms are messianic. They point to Jesus. They all fit into the framework of delighting in the Torah or the law. Those who delight in the Torah will be blessed. 
Those who do not will be banished and cursed. We read about that specifically in Psalm 1 and Psalm chapter 2. These two psalms are the introduction for the entire book. They're like the the preface to what you're about to read. They frame the entirety of it. The conclusion of the book is Psalm 150. So book one, there are five books, remember, and book one is comprised of chapters 3 through 41. These are primarily, primarily written about David and by David in the immediate sense. But in the ultimate sense, they point away from David to the ultimate messianic king, the real Messiah. His name is Jesus. It is in book one where we find our psalm for the day. Psalm 23 is the most popular psalm of them all, without a doubt. It has brought comfort to God's people in the most difficult of situations. There is no real context that this psalm fits into, and perhaps it is why it makes the psalm so accessible. The vagueness of the situation allows us to apply it to ourselves readily, easily, joyfully. Now this psalm, this poem, has been the subject of many writings. Lots of ink has been spilt, some better than others. John Milton, one of the great poets, wrote a psalm, a poem called the 23rd Psalm. Check it out. It's in John Milton's greatest works. Psalm 23 even made a cameo in Coolio's 90s classic, Gangster's Paradise. He uses Psalm 23 verse 4 as its opening line. Even as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalm permeates culture and society in amazing ways. Now remember whenever I gave you the genres of the psalms, you have lament, you have worship, thanksgiving, you have royal, various psalms. Psalm 23 fits into that genre categorization as a psalm of trust. And as a psalm of trust, it falls between psalms of lament, despairing of the suffering you're encountering, and in between psalms of thanksgiving. I'm out of the storm, baby. All is good. The sun is shining, and life is amazing. Praise God, for he is good. Psalm 23 fits right in between the two. So now, without any further ado... Let's turn our attention to Psalm 23. Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so you'll remember that this is just obviously poetic, right? Because we are not sheep. We are people. But a good word about the poetic metaphor will help us to orient ourselves as we think through this chapter of Scripture. So you'll know that shepherds um, led sheep. They led them to waters so that they could drink. They led them into green pastures so that they could eat, so that they could find rest. And they protected their sheep. You'll, you'll probably be aware that sheep are often regarded as the dumbest animals on the planet. Like, you lead them into a pasture, and they won't eat the green grass unless everything is just pristine, right? So they have to have everything just so, or they'll, like, stand in green grass and starve. And so it is the job of the, past, of the shepherd to lead them into this. And so we see that he makes everything right. He causes them to lay down in green pastures. By still waters, there's nothing rumbling around in the waters that he leads them to that would spook them or cause them to not want to eat. He restores my soul, can also be taken to mean he restores my strength by providing all of the needs that I have. He leads me in well-worn paths of righteousness or the right paths for his namesake. We start to see a divergence from the metaphor here for his namesake. The shepherd was responsible for those things. Here in verse 4, we read, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you can still continue with the metaphor that David is using. Shepherds would often lead, in order to get to good pasture lands, the shepherds through deep valleys that were surrounded by mountainous structures casting shadows and deep darkness. Um, and there, there is a little bit of discussion in uh, translators and commentaries about this word that's translated shadow of death. In the very literal sense, that's the way it's translated. Shomavit, the shadow of death. Some just say deep, dark shadows. And in the ancient Near East, there was this real understanding that deep, dark shadows, nothing good happened in those. Like that's synonymous with just death and dying and being attacked and being robbed. Like good stuff doesn't happen in the dark. And that still happens today, right? We know that to be true. But even though the, the sheep is going through something that would cause it great fear, it would fear no evil, right? It would be close to the shepherd. The shepherd would stop, you know, leading from the front and kind of come, come back alongside its, its sheep, and it would know its nearness. It would, the sheep would know the shepherd's presence, and he leads them through. The, the rod and the staff, right? You'll know that the rod is just like a billy club. It's like a baseball bat. So whenever the, the wolves or whenever enemies come away, the shepherd just knocks the thing out of the park, protecting the sheep. And the staff is that which he guides 
himself with. He, he walks, he, keeps, he maintains stability. And if a sheep goes astray, as sheep are often prone to do, has a little crook on the end, right? Has a little hook. Now pull that sheep back to safety. Shepherd knows the sheep, what they need protecting from, what they need rescue from of their own ignorant, foolish ways. Now you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, can be taken to mean in the table lands, it's where the choicest grass was, that the shepherd would lead his sheep there and feed him. And then like the wolves and their enemies and their natural predators would have to just look on and think, I can't do anything about this. They're just eating grass all day, getting fatter, getting riper, riper, getting juicier, and I can't eat. Now, that's just some of the background. Think, think with me for a moment about verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So if you're taking notes, I've got, I do have an outline. Uh, I'm going to kind of rein that in a little bit. So point number one, simply Yahweh, shepherd through life. Yahweh, shepherd through life. Now think with me for a moment about this exceedingly staggering statement. Have you ever, whenever you sing hymns, psalms, spiritual songs, when you pray, read the Bible, when you talk to others about what God, how he is working in your life, have you ever been staggered by the thought of whom you are doing and saying these things about? Does a deluge of the divine flood your deliberations? As you know, the Lord, whenever you see it in your English translation, everything is capitalized, L-O-R-D. It is a guarded way of saying the one true God's personal name, Yahweh. I am. I am that I am. It's very close to the Hebrew word to be, the most reoccurring verb in the Hebrew language, Hayah, to be. And God, Yahweh, told this to Moses in Exodus 3. Now think about this. Yahweh is eternal, sovereign, creator of heaven, earth, humankind, plants, animals, stars, planets, galaxies. Yahweh is the shield, the strong tower, the God of heaven and earth, and all that is in the earth. He is self-sustaining, completely autonomous. He is eternal and full of power and wisdom. Yahweh is the covenant-making and keeping God who called Abraham and made a nation out of him. He led Israel out of Egypt, thereby proving himself to be the one true God who is worthy of our praise, adoration, and allegiance. So to say that Yahweh is my shepherd is an amazing statement. What could be better than to have the truly powerful and amazing one as your shepherd? I mean, think about this. You know, life can be crazy hard. Crazy hard. Even this morning, maybe some of you were experiencing the hardships of living life in a fallen world. And you're reminded at many junctures that you are really not in control of anything ultimate. I mean, you might be able to walk into a room 
flip the light switch, and the lights come on, right? I got control over that. Let's say the next day, come into the same room, flip the switch, the lights don't come on, something's malfunctioned. You have no control, ultimately, over whether or not the lights come on or not. If your life will turn out good in any way, then you must have one who will see to it that it will. You must have someone to provide for you, someone who is ultimately powerful and ultimately good, if you are to ever be able to even consider saying, I shall not want. That one is the one who does not go into a room and turn on the light switch, but the one at the beginning of all things said, let there be light. And the sun burst onto the scene. This is the one who is the good shepherd. Nobody can lay claim to creating the sun by merely speaking it into being. But your good shepherd can. David is saying that Yahweh, the one true and living God, is his shepherd. David, in this psalm, uh, acknowledges that. We know David's life. If you don't know David's life, I would encourage you to go and read about it in the Bible. I'll leave that to you. David has been through some stuff. You have been through some stuff too. I mean, think about this. Have you ever been in a spot in your life, whenever you just like look at your bank account, or you look at your pile of debt, and you think, man, I'm not going to make it. I don't know how we're going to make this. I just, I feel like I could implode or explode or something. I don't know what we're going to do. This psalm is calling you to lift your eyes up to trust in your shepherd. He will care for you more than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Or maybe the opposite is true for you. Maybe you have never experienced financial hardship. This psalm is calling you to humble yourself and remember the one who has ultimately provided all of your needs. God cares for his sheep. God, Yahweh, leads his sheep in paths of righteousness. So if you're tracking with us, we're going to skip down now to verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yahweh leads me in the right paths, and he does it for his namesake. Perhaps you're here thinking, like, man, I, you know, I don't even know about Christianity, and if if I do know about Christianity, I know that, like, sometimes it's hard for me to do the things that I want to do. Sometimes it's hard for me to to walk in right ways. Well, don't, don't fret. You can't do it on your own. You don't have the power. So God will provide for all of your physical needs, food, water. And he will also provide for your spiritual needs. He's shepherding you through this 
life. And why does he do these things? He does these things for his namesake. The main reason that he does these things is because his name is a reflection of his character, and he's bound to who he is. He's perfect and holy and righteous and powerful. And so you've heard the phrase, like, he's got a good name. You, know, you, should, you should go see so-and-so. Good name. Good name. And it's not saying, like, I really like the name. I, don't, I really like the etymology. I really like the way the name John just sounds to my ears, or Sue, or Mark, or Margaret. It's drawing attention to the person's character. Are they trustworthy, dependable, righteous, powerful? Are those with good names persons of respect? That's what it means on a, on a human level. God will provide for and protect his people for his namesake. So summary of point one, um, Yahweh shepherds his people every day, even the monotonous ones, and in every way. Give us this day our daily bread is something that we're taught to pray. Lead us not into temptation. Daily put on the full armor of God. These are just a few examples of the rest of Scripture that point to our daily need of God. Jesus shepherds us for life and godliness, the practical provision as well as the spiritual health. He does so for the sake of his name. All right, big point number two. Yahweh shepherd through death. So point number one, Yahweh shepherd through life. I'm going to provide everything that you need. You will not want I'll even lead you in paths of righteousness. Point number two, shepherd through death. Pick this up in verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Shadows are scary, right? If they're big enough, if they're dark enough, some shadows are are nice. Some shadows are relaxing and cooling. But darkness is scary. It's because you don't know what or who might be lurking in there. Have you ever kind of crept into a dark room and kind of felt around on the wall? Maybe you're like, I'm going to be brave today. I'm going to just walk into the room, and then I'm going to turn around. I'm going to flip on the light. I'm not going to kind of do this number. Maybe you haven't ever done that. I have. It's a true thing. Um, Why? Because our mind starts just messing up. Evil things happen in the dark. We don't know what's in there. Something could jump out and get us, right? Now listen, there, there is a bit of an overlap here between my points, right? Points one and points two. Because life in this fallen world is a life in the shadow of death. Like death doesn't need to be like on your doorstep knocking at your door for you to be in the shadow of death. Think about it this way. So we were created to have fellowship with God, right? Complete, unhindered access with him. So think about him being like the sun in the sky. We know that God is with us because my microphone just turned off. There we go. Back online. Like the sun in the sky shining down on us. But then whenever death entered into the world through one man's sin, it it became like, think about it this way, like, a big tombstone, 
It was just resurrected in the sky. Boom. And it blocks the light from shining on you directly. And now you're living in such a way so as to be living life in the shadow of death. And so everything you do, all of the relationships that you have, all of the people that you're with um, are tainted by this shadow. Now listen, if, if one can, this is also um, back here to the overlap. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. <laughs> Tommy, changing the battery in my microphone. Appreciate your service. We prayed this morning for a diversity in gifts. Uh, and so God is answering his prayer in a very real way by allowing Tommy to utilize his gifts of so service. if you prayed for no distractions, apparently this is not a We did not pray for no distractions. So that's a good thing. You have not because you ask not. Lord, we do pray that there will be no further distractions from your word today. Thank you that you're good at all times. If God can evoke such courage, such confidence in the face of one's own death, then certainly he can do the same for their life. Think about it. What is your life? As I asked at the beginning, where do your disappointments come from? How self-reliant and self-sufficient are you? Or at least you think you are. Remember what we are told. God knows what we need. He says, do not seek after these things, food and drink and shelter. Rather, seek after the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Now back to the just second main point here, Yahweh, the shepherd through death. David goes on to say that even though I walk in this valley, I will fear no evil. Why? It's because God is with him. Right? He says, for you are with me. How can someone really say and really mean that they will fear no evil? Like really mean it, not just talking tough. Especially when they are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't get much worse than like literally like death is on your doorstep, right? Not much more frightening than that. Many people would say, get me out of here in regard to the shadow of death. Like turn the lights on quick. Like this is just over me, and I don't know what to do. I am freaking out. This is not good. So David's staggering statement shows a deep trust in God. He says, I know you. You are wise. You are for my good. Your ways are better than my ways, and I will not be ultimately undone. For Yahweh, for you are with me. You are big and you are powerful and you are for me. If God is for us, then who can be against us? There is a shadow looming over all of us by virtue of living in a fallen world. 
Sometimes the shadow is more acute. The darkness gets darker ever still. And yet David is still able to say that he can make it because God is with him. And so can you. Jesus entered into the shadow. Jesus entered our mess. God the Son took on human flesh and dwelt among us. We have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. And now listen, sometimes God will allow you to go through the valley in order to bless you. You ever thought about that? Like I'm going through this trial, this struggle, this valley for the blessing of God. This isn't how we often think. Okay, so last night there was a heavyweight boxing match. Champion, three championship belts were up, up for grabs. Big dude, undefeated, Anthony Joshua. He was going to, you know, expect to just blow this underdog out of the water, Andy Ruiz Jr. Andy rocked him in the seventh round, TKO. Shocked the world. Like this short, fat dude beat this, like, tall, really in shape dude. Undefeated record, no more. What did Andy Ruiz say? He said, I want to thank God, man. I want to thank God. God gave me the victory. Praise God. Did, did Anthony Joshua say that? No. Have you ever heard someone, when they get the first L added to the record, say, I just want to thank God right now because he allowed me to lose. Because he allowed me to suffer. Like, no. No, they don't. But this is true. When you experience the, the big L's in your life, the big failures in your life, the big struggles in your life, the big hardships, when you're going through the valley, know that God blesses His children. He blesses you by helping you to feel your need of Him. Lest you think you are like Nelson Mandela and the master of your own soul. You cannot steer the ship of your life. Only God can. And He is good to remind you of that. He blesses you by drawing near to you, giving you more of Himself. You are with me. Bless you that showing you what is ultimate and true and lasting. Not food, not clothes, not earthly possessions. As good as they are, not family. But He is. And He is with you. David knew not to trust in himself. He knew not to trust in man. He knew not to trust in his circumstances. It's like Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord God. Did you know that Jesus went through the valley too? Of course you do. If you know anything at all about the Bible, maybe you don't. Don't feel bad about that. I invite you to explore more. But he did. If you look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, um, it says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. 
And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. He fully entrusted himself to the good shepherd of his soul, Yahweh, even while he was going through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> All right. Point number three, Yahweh, shepherd for eternity, shepherd for eternity. This we pick up here in verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is a counterintuitive statement to the context in which David has been writing. Right, The context is life in the shadow where evil things happen at the hands of enemies. So how can, how can David say this? How can you say this, that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life? Well, mercy is just a translated uh, word that means steadfast love, faithfulness, loving kindness. Yahweh's faithful love to you will pursue you all the days of your life. Think about this. God made a covenant with people. Those who are in Christ are in the new covenant with the good shepherd. And his covenant is to bless you and keep you and to never forsake you. And this is the, the amazing thing here. When David says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Maybe you thought about it at the beginning of this psalm as it being a little bit naive. You know as well as I do that people do go hungry. People do die of starvation or lack of shelter. People do experience genuine and real and acute wants. Legitimate needs are not always met. In the darkness of that valley where needs are not met, you can trust Yahweh. Cling fast to your sure and steady anchor in a genuine and real and ultimate and eternal sense. You and no one else who is in Jesus, the Christ, will suffer want. This is true because we have everything we could ever ultimately want and need in Jesus. Now here's a brief aside. Brief excursus, if you will. Over this weekend, there has been a video circulating on social media confronting who some would call televangelist, the appropriate term is false teacher, Kenneth Copeland, about his lavish life. Like, test the spirits, friends. That's a good thing to do. Here's another important point. 
Even if someone has all the wealth and health in the world, and they are not in Christ, then woe to them. Woe to them. For they will be eternally cast out of God's gracious and good presence and will literally experience the fullness of his wrathful displeasure against them personally. This is what we all deserve. Don't pursue the fulfillment and security in things that moth and rust destroy. Pursue by God's grace that which is eternal, His kingdom. You will not want. You will dwell with Him forever. You know, it is said that better is one day in the courts of God than thousands elsewhere. How much more so will forever dwelling in the house of the Lord be than just one day. All right. We're running a little bit low on time. I might make some edits here on the fly. Why can David say, I will fear no evil? Because no matter what happens to you in this life, God has something bigger and better for you. Yet we're all going to die, right? Like we live in the flesh. We all wear out. We're all going to be put in the grave. Yet those in Christ will dwell with him forever. What could be better than life as you know it? What could be better than all the things you are currently passionate about? What could be worth delighting in forever? It is no less than the great I am, the same one who makes it possible to stare death directly in the eyes and not fear. We can look at death, feel the icy cold fingers of death grasp us and say with 100% confidence, Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? It has been swallowed up in victory. God's character stands. He has made due on his promise to Eve that her offspring would crush the head of the serpent. And now your icy cold grip will never hold me down because I am the son's and he is mine. Praise be to his holy name. Amen. Jesus is with us always. So now some some brief reflections. Who are your enemies? Who are your enemies? Some of you might be thinking about some co-workers, some political people across the world, some terrorists. Some may be thinking about your spouse, your children, or other people in your life. We can talk about that if you've got close people that you're supposed to love that feel like enemies. It's a good thing to talk about. I'd love to help you with that. But did, did you know that there are bigger, more real enemies in your life than other people? Enemies that you don't see. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12 says this way. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So those are our enemies. <laughs> Romans 8, 33-39 says it this way, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. God prays for you. That's amazing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. So to sum those up in saying this, what matters more to David and Paul, and therefore it should matter more to you as well, is not what you are up against, but who is with us. Remember that when life is at its hardest. Ultimately, death is the final enemy. The enemy that Jesus defeated. Did you know that Jesus... The good shepherd has a rod. He's got one of those billy clubs with which he defeats your enemies, his enemies. His rod is the resurrection. God prepares for you a table in the presence of your enemies, including death. We will one day sit with the king, eating and drinking and celebrating the victory that is ours through Jesus, the lamb who stands though as slain the great death defeater and sin slayer. We will, never, we will no longer fear death. Death will tremble at the sight of God's chosen people enjoying the feast with him because death will then know that it has been fully and finally defeated. You don't have to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 20, Verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Uh-oh. Books were opened. You know what was written on the books? It says, Later, that people were judged according to all that they have been, all that they have done, and this is written in the books. What what might it say? It might say something like this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
The whole lot of them have committed these things. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Moreover, they are conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. The list of charges goes on. They are corrupt through deceitful desires, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. They are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, divisive, warped, sinful, self-indulgent, full of jealousy and strife, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slanderous, cowardly, faithless, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. These are the things that Satan, the great slanderer, the great accuser, is saying about you before God. And this, my friends, is when Satan is actually being correct. And in fact, God does not need Satan to slither up and accuse you of these things. He has books where everything that you've ever done is written. And on that day, they will be opened and he will read them. But there is another book. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. And this book says this about you. If you are in Christ... Washed, purified, cleansed, accepted, forgiven, righteous, holy, and dearly loved. This means that those who are in Christ will not experience the second death. Death will have no victory of them. Death will be swallowed up in the victory of Jesus' resurrection. Friends, we're almost done. It's my second reflection. This is a psalm of trust. What do you think heaven will be like? It is anything but dull and boring. Heaven is a celebration. It's a party. An exuberant life of love and joy and adoration in and with and for the kind king who is the shepherd of our souls. And he anoints your head with oil, right? Like in the ancient Near East, they did that because, well, it was dry. It was windy. It was dusty. People got chapped faces. It was a pleasantry whenever a neighbor invited you in. Sit at the table. I've got oil for your head. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to show you great hospitality. My cup overflows. God himself is going to fill your cup with the choicest wine. Wine that makes the heart glad. It's going to be a celebration. Somehow we're going to be in heaven and not get drunk, but we're going to enjoy that which will make the heart glad. It's an amazing thing. It'll be a party. So many people try to create heaven on earth right now. They dig out for themselves broken cisterns, broken jars, that don't hold water. 
Think about it with me about playing a game called finish the sentence. The sentence comes um, from a psalm, a proverb, forget which right now. It starts this way. When I am afraid, I put my trust in dot, dot, dot. Most of us know what the Bible says, but how are you prone to finish it? Like in your actions, in your daily life, how are you prone to finish the sentence? When I am afraid, I put my trust in distracting myself with work. My smartphone, got to check that alert one more time. Got to check my email one more time. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in drugs or alcohol to numb the pain or in food to give me some sort of pleasure in the midst of this hardship. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in fornication. That'll do something for me. I put my trust in pornography. I put my trust in that vacation. I put my trust in Netflix binging, shopping, gossip, anger, clinging to other people, withdrawing from other people, suicide, lying, bullying, prideful thoughts and actions, delusions of grandeur, denying reality, myself, others, politics, conspiracy theories, health, wealth, positivity, religious acts, etc. When I am afraid, you name it, the list could go on. It is perpetual, yet the Bible gets it right. When I am afraid, the only thing that I can do is put my trust in you, Lord. This is a psalm of trust. Do you trust God? Do you trust Yahweh? Do you trust the self-sufficient one who is in no need of a counselor? The one who owns cattle on a thousand hills? The one who causes mountains to melt like wax at his presence? The one who created all things in heaven and in earth? The one who has always been and always will be? The one in whom there is no shadow due to variance or shadow due to change? The trustworthy one? The faithful one? Do you trust him? Do you trust God when life is going well? Do you trust him when life, as Jerry Bridges in his wonderful book says, hurts? I know you don't trust God 100% of the time, even if you're a Christian. You don't delight in the Torah, the law, 100% of the time. Take heart. Jesus died even for your mistrust, for your weak faith, for your unbelief and disobedience. When you succumb to the temptation to trust in something else, as expressed in what you turn to when you are afraid, remember that Jesus paid the penalty you deserve to pay, and he gave you his reward. You know, this should cause Two things, this realization in our lives. This should cause us to pray with the centurion, Lord, I believe, increase my unbelief. Pray that God will help you to trust in him. And this should also cause you to praise God. That is the takeaway. What is the best way for one to praise God? We can't just say to ourselves as if we are a smartphone, hey self, praise God. 
Okay, praise God in T.5 seconds. That's not going to happen. We're not anthropomorphic direct TV devices and just praise God on demand. We are human beings with warring allegiances because of the indwelling spirit that causes us to want to follow God and indwelling sin that just still longs for the things of the world. Therefore, we have affections for Yahweh, and yet they are often cold. A way to stoke the flame of your heart to praise Him is by meditating on His Word. Words like those found in Psalm 23. Friends, remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of truth. Set your minds on God's Word. Pray that God would help you to do that. Partake in the gathering of the saints. And take heart. There is one day when you will trust Him 100% of the time. That day when you finally are with him face to face. In conclusion, this psalm is about how Yahweh shepherds his people through their life, death, and resurrection. His people are those who have been united to him through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the God-man. Emmanuel, God with us, the one who has been given a name above every other name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So as we think about Psalm 23, let's praise God for Jesus. Because of him, we, those of us who are in him, will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. And just as Psalms 1 and 2 start the whole Psalter, it's appropriate to read the one that ends the Psalter as we end today. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise You that You are our shepherd. If there are any who hear my voice today or who will hear my voice in the future who cannot say that you are their shepherd, but who would have to honestly say that you are their judge, I pray that you would shepherd them through life, that you would lead them into paths of righteousness, open up their eyes to see their need for you. And I pray for the sheep who do know you and who do obey your voice, that they would take great comfort, that you would increase their trust in you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.